The Minding Your Mind podcast, raising awareness and breaking the stigma around mental health. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Minding Your Mind podcast. My name is Evan Transu, and I have the privilege of being your host for today's show, where I will be interviewing Mr. Leo Flowers. Leo is from Chicago, but lives in Los Angeles right now, where he puts his masters to work, while also revealing personal anecdotes on stages. He is a TEDx speaker, has a master's in counseling and psychology, is the host of the very successful Before You Kill Yourself podcast, and he's even a stand-up comedian. Now, Leo is a great guy to have on the show, because not only does he have his podcast where he has interviewed, I think at this point, hundreds of different individuals for their mental health stories or their clinical perspectives, but he also has this counseling background, and on top of that, has a mental health story himself that he's very open about. And that leads me into kind of what we'll be talking about in today's episode, because we did cover quite a bit. We talked about the state of all of our mental health during the pandemic, how a very serious injury uh, for Leo has affected him throughout his life and affected his opportunities. He was a D1 athlete um, that affected his mental health greatly. He lost out on opportunities there, unfortunately, because of it. We also talk about some of the risk factors of suicide, which is one of my favorite parts of this podcast. We're going to be looking at things, and Leo speaks to parents a lot, too, which is very nice. And in this podcast, he's talking directly to parents of what we can do to watch out for our kids and some of the things that we can look out for so that these things do not get to levels that you know no one wants them to get to. We really appreciated this interview with Leo. I definitely go check out his work after you're done listening. But without further ado, I want to jump right into it. So let's get into the interview. Leo, thank you so much for being here, man. How are you today? Man, I'm doing my best. I, you know, usually I'd say I'm fantastic. I'm wonderful. But if I'm really being honest, given the the, the state of the world, uh, I'm just, I'm doing my best. I think we all are just doing our best right now. I appreciate that honesty right off the bat, because I think that is the true way most of us are feeling, right? And perhaps it would be better if I answered with that honesty sometimes, because I'm always coming in super optimistic, like, hey, I'm doing great, even when, yeah, I probably had some interesting thoughts uh, throughout the day. So I I appreciate that. And um, it seems like we're all feeling that way, like I said. So hopefully, this ends up getting to a point where things start really turning around, um, I, it's been a long year, that's for sure. This definitely got drawn out longer than I ever thought it would. I don't know about you, but <laughs> I, I thought this really was going to be a quicker thing at one point. Now, what's cool? Yeah, go. Oh, well, I was going to say, you know, when when things like this happen, you know, the pandemic, uh, you know, the the political unrest, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I'll, I'll always just anticipate that it's going to go on forever, and it allows me to really hone in on what's under my control, right? Like, what can I do today? What can I do over the next few days, next few weeks? Uh, that's within my control uh, so that I can have some sense of normalcy or feel grounded uh, on some level versus waiting to see what happens, anticipating the results of X, Y, and Z. Um, that it it just doesn't bode well. So much can be done in the meantime. We can create so much meaning and um, and have so much more engagement uh, in the meantime. So how, how do we find that and how do we create that? 
Absolutely. I mean, that's very well said. And I'm in kind of the same boat. It's, I have a lifelong journey of trying to become less in control or uh, realize that I'm not as in control as I would like to believe, right? And that's actually a very comforting thing over time. Now, one of the first things I'd like to get into is, I mean, I don't know many kids who say, hey, when I grow up, I'm going to be a mental health advocate, right? Like this is something that usually chooses us throughout our lives. And I mean, for many of us who enter into the space, I mean, we enter for personal reasons. And some of us even had our own mental health conditions, or we knew a loved one with a mental health condition. I mean, to the degree that you feel comfortable sharing, what brought you into this space and eventually led you to be a counselor and now a podcast host of a podcast that's very successful and has, I mean, tons of episodes? Like, how did you get there? Uh, Great question. Thank you, Evan. Um, you know, circumstances and uh, genetics, <laughs> meaning that, you know, I, I was born very empathic. You know, you can't, you're not in control of that. I, I was born in, um, you know, the, my physiology dictated that I, I, I feel what other people are feeling and I feel the, the, the weight of it or the levity of it. Um, so it started there, but then my circumstances also in that my father wasn't around. He, he lived on the other side of town, had another family. And so uh, because I have a, a sister who's four years younger, I was parentified very early on, meaning that when there's usually one adult in the house, uh, that was my mom, and the oldest kid becomes the other parent. You know, you're, you're taking care of your younger sibling. Uh, in some, it's, you know, in some cases I was taking care of my mom. I was, I had a job since I was nine years old to, to help put food on a table and keep a roof over our heads and clothes on our back. So from a very young age, I, I was very aware that, um, I, we didn't have time for feelings, you know, it was only, uh, what needs to be done and let's, and, and we, and let's do that. So, um, when you're kind of thrust into that situation or feeling like that's where you're needed, you know, that's what you do. And then it just becomes a habit over time of how can I be of service to others? What do you need? Uh, and how can I uh, add, add value to, to that? And also, also how to not be a burden. Um, unfortunately, that's, that's what comes with, uh, you know, the parentification so early on is that you try not to impose on other people to the behest of, uh, I don't think behest is the right word, but um, at the consequence of not tapping into your own needs and wants and desires. So you, you struggle as you get older to express what you need, what you want, what are your goals, uh, finding your purpose and your meaning. So that, that required a lot of work for me. But uh, but to uh, answer your questions, um, like I said, it was partly, you know, how I was born very empathically. But the other part was uh, I there was a role that I felt like I needed to fulfill very on, uh, you know, uh, being a parent to my younger sibling and then making sure that, uh, you know, my mom, who was working two jobs, uh, had, you know, was was taken care of in some ways. Got it. Got it. I mean, those sound, I mean, it sounds like you had quite a bit going on, obviously, in those younger years. And that could lead virtually anyone to feel, I mean, the weight of mental health issues were, 
you ever dealing with any specific types of mental health conditions? Because I could understand how those circumstances alone would make you want to get into the space. But I'm curious, I mean, is it something you've directly dealt with yourself? Yeah, as a kid, you know, you don't know, because when I was growing up, we weren't, no one had mental health discussions. We, we didn't just talk about feelings. We didn't talk about e- even uh, bullying, but depression, ADHD, either, you were either a good kid or a bad kid, right? Everything was in extremes <laughs> right. uh, growing yep. up. And, um, and you either, uh, emotionally, you were either pissed or you were, you were good. And those were the only two emotions uh, growing up. There, there was no nuance to anything. There wasn't, oh, are you hurt? Are you in despair? Are you grieving? Are you disheartened? Are you bothered? Uh, you know, uh, are you joyful? Are you know? There's we there wasn't a, a vast vo- vocabulary around uh, emotional well-being, and so. But looking back, I realized that I definitely struggled with depression. Um, you know, I was I was by myself a lot. I uh, I slept long hours. I would just come home from school and sleep wake up in the middle of the night, eat, and then go back to sleep. And uh, it, it never interfered with school or anything. But uh, I, I definitely struggled with depression. I didn't really talk to anyone. Uh, my weight was always fluctuating. My grades were subpar. I, I was just always doing enough to get by. I was like, what, what's, the, what's the least that's asked, required of me? And I'll do that and then leave me alone so I can go sleep or eat. And uh, uh, sports, you know, was my saving grace. That was the the one place where I actually, um, you know, I felt some excitement uh, for anything. But but yeah, I, I definitely struggled uh, with depression. But you, you don't have those conversations in school. There's not there wasn't a school counselor you could talk to about that kind of thing. Got it. And as a side note, because it's something really important for the audience to hear, I love how as a counselor, this is coming straight from a counselor's mouth, guys, when you just talked about depression, some of the first things you just listed were changes in like those eating patterns and the sleep patterns. What common misconceptions around depression are those, right? Like we don't even think about those types of symptoms. Um, A lot of us, at least still to this day, when we're talking about depression, and I know in my story, that was a huge part of it. So I think that's, again, although it wasn't the main point, a super important thing for the audience to just kind of recognize that from a counselor, these are two of the main symptoms that you're talking about and recognizing. So depression can look like a lot of different things for um, different people. And I know you mentioned the sports thing. What's cool is I've seen some of your stuff online. I've listened to your podcast. And of course, we'll talk about that later in uh, this interview. But I know that you were actually a D1 athlete at one point. And it sounds like, I mean, you sustained some kind of injury. Is that correct? Or am I incorrect there? Yeah. uh, So I played, uh, I was a defensive tackle at Ball State in Muncie, Indiana, uh, Division One, And... um, my fourth year, I had to put on I had to put on seventy five pounds to play at that level. I was two hundred when they recruited me, and you know if you know anything about football, two hundred is not big enough to play defensive tackle. So <laughs> I, I definitely did the best with my size in high school, but that definitely was not going to be enough for college. And so you know 
that's where uh, kind of like the eating disorder started to, to take place when you're just kind of stuffing food down your mouth 24 seven um, because you know that your size uh, can affect your performance. Um, but the injury I sustained was uh three bulging discs in, in college, uh, going into my fourth year or after my fourth year, actually in college, I had one more year because I redshirted. So I was supposed to play five years. So my, after, during my fourth year, I hit this guy and I had a double stingers like numbness going down both arms. And my coach was like, you can't go back in. We got to go get that looked at. And the following morning I woke up paralyzed could not move. Uh, when you wake up paralyzed, you, you have no sense of time. It felt like hours, days, weeks, months, uh, when in fact it could have just been seconds. I have no way of telling. But uh, And that's when they discovered I had three bulging discs in my neck and uh, that I should have never been playing football because I, had a, I was born with a very narrow spinal uh, uh, column. So uh, structurally, I should never have been playing football, but it, it took, uh, you know, waking up paralyzed to discover that. And now I'm 44 and I have six bulging discs on my neck. Uh, and so a few years ago, I woke up again paralyzed. And that's when they said, oh, you have six bulging discs now. And they oh did a gosh. spinal fusion. Uh, my C3 through 5, they went in through the front of my neck and infused uh, all six uh, discs, which was terrifying for me because I do stand up, I public speak, I have a podcast, things, et cetera, et cetera. And I also uh, am acting and I life coach. And they said that the, the surgery would affect my vocal cords. I, uh, they would tire out very easily. So it was not an easy decision to make, even after you know waking up paralyzed of thinking, Wow, if I lose the inability to speak or talk uh, for any duration, uh, that's those are all my careers. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to have to learn how to write or something, you know? I was just about to say, I mean, it's one thing for that to affect you in the sports side of things. Okay, I mean, you hear that often enough. But for this really same injury to come back then and then hit you in the same way for these other careers that seem totally unrelated to that injury, like I wouldn't have been able to make that connection. Right. I mean, that's, yeah, that's tough. So I guess though now, I mean, obviously you're still doing these things. Was everything successful and is this good now, or is there still some type of risk in the future with this? Well, there's definitely a, uh, a risk because as I age, the space between your vertebrae just compresses naturally. So I still have numbness on my left side from my going from my neck down through my uh, pinky and index finger. And that's just uh, something I have to manage through uh, foam rolling, yoga, stretching. Um, I have to change the way I eat because, because sugars and caffeine are inflammatory. So they, that could increase the amount of pain or discomfort that I feel or the amount of inflammation in my body, uh, having a sleep, making sure I get enough sleep. And so everything that I'm, I'm doing and focusing on is really about one, reducing inflammation in my body and two, improving the, my mobility so that uh, the way I'm moving my body is not in a way that is um, 
putting more pressure on my neck and my spinal column. So doing planks, doing core workouts, uh, I'm swimming more. I, I had to learn how to swim. I wasn't swimming before. Um, and it, so it's like, what do I have to do? So I'm not, you know, joining the 50% of Americans who are on painkillers and, and, mm-hmm. and not to knock them, but, but that's a, that's a stat. 50% of Americans are on painkillers. And so, uh, and it, and it's sad and it's unfortunate. And I'm, I've been very fortunate to, um, have had the education that I've had and have so that I can figure out more homeopathic ways of treating the chronic pain. That's amazing. I mean, I've seen you reference some of these things on Instagram and social, and I was always wondering, like, I wonder what the motivation is for that there. And I I kind of understand now where it comes from. And that's just cool to see that you're doing really everything you can there. Because, of course, I was asking that question in terms of how do you deal with, you know, sustaining those types of injuries, or even just going through paralysis. I mean, that has to be horrifying. And it sounds like, I mean, you have many different things that you do for that. And with that said, I'd like to kind of then just transition more into uh, Leo Flowers, the counselor. And I know, again, you have many different things going on, but I think for today's podcast, one of the most valuable things you can bring us is your perspectives as a counselor. Evan, not to cut you off, I don't want to cut, but I I do want to add one more piece to the uh, trajectory of in terms of dealing with the pain. Um, There are lots of nights where I cry. You know, the pain was so bad, I cried. Um, I had numerous thoughts of ending my life uh, due to the pain. And I'm only bringing this up to say that 50% of Americans are on painkillers. So, and a lot of people are in pain and experiencing pain for different reasons. So I I say that just to let the listeners know that um, it's okay to cry. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to say that that you need help, uh, and and that it's it's hard, and I'm still learning how to uh, manage the pain in a way that um, it doesn't consume me and uh, doesn't run my life. So uh, I just I just want to say that to the, the millions of listeners uh, or people out there who are, are struggling with or will be struggling with chronic pain is. You know, uh, if you if you need to cry, if you just go, this is too much. It's okay to say that, and it's okay to to reach out for help. And I think that was a very worthy point to make. So, I mean, thank you very much. I wouldn't have known that those were uh, things that you were dealt are dealing with, and I mean, still dealing with it. Sounds like so. Um, I commend you, man, and thank you for that kind of message to the people out there who are going through that. Because I, you know, thankfully, I, I've dealt with a lot of health issues, but certainly not chronic pain type of things. And I, I didn't know 50% of Americans were on pain medicine, although I'm not surprised. And I mean, that's just a whole nother conversation there that uh, we might have to get into a different time on this podcast. For today, like I said, I, I want to get into some of the things with counseling. I went back and reviewed some of your episodes on your podcast. And I listened to your first one where you were talking a lot about the warning signs of suicide, because that's a huge mission for you is suicide prevention. And you had a lot of different great things in there. So I'm kind of just going to go one by one with the questions so that we can get all this information to people in an efficient way. What are some of the warning signs 
of suicide first and foremost. And I know that you gave uh, very you know, in-depth and thorough explanations of this, uh, those warning signs on your podcast. For this, it can be more bullet pointed. I mean, feel free to go in as much depth or as little as you want, but I'd love to know what are some of the warning signs that people can look out for. You know, that's such a great question. And and this is one of those answers where, you know, even though I did list a, a bullet point from the podcast, this is another one of those things where it's uh, it's nuanced because right right now is, uh, you know, November and we're going into December. And uh, this is a time of the year where we see an increase in depression but we see a decrease in uh, suicides. And it's because that it actually takes a lot of energy for someone to, to end their life. Um, in some books, they call it self-annihilation. It takes a lot of energy. And so depression is so heavy. It's so weighty. It's so consuming that even when one is depressed, that you you can't even you don't even think about ending your life because it it, it takes too much uh, to to do it, um, and so we see a spike usually in uh, springtime when uh, when when there's more light and there there's there's more energy uh, you know in, in the world and and now we start to you know things are starting to blossom and people are barbecuing and, and skipping about so. What why I say it's nuanced in terms of the signs is because we see that spike in spring, but we also see an increase in people's moods. So in spring, uh, you know, if somebody ends their life, that you'll often hear the family say they were in such a great mood. They had so much more energy. You know, they, they I thought they were gonna you know end their life in December. They seemed so depressed then, but but now here we are in 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 May and April in April and May. And and I can't believe this is when they did. They seemed like they were on the right track. So what we are looking for, this brings us into the first sign is a drastic change in mood. Right. So if someone has been depressed for a long time and all of a sudden they have a lot of energy. Yes, that can be a sign of uh, bipolar or manic depression, but that can also be a sign that they're they're They now have the energy to end their life. So what we're looking at for drastic transitions, whether um, they are giving a lot of things away, right, uh, as they're preparing uh, for the end of life. And it, it and maybe it's not even a lot of things. It's just valuable things, things you're like, I can't wait. What, what happened to that, that that toy car you had or what happened, uh, you know, to that that chest um, that treasure chest that you had or that football that you, you love so much. I, like, I don't know. Um, so when you start to see them uh, start to see things missing that they cared and, and loved about and, and maybe worked so hard to achieve and, and they kind of have a, a nonchalant like whatever, uh, you want to look into that. Um, uh, if they're starting to lose a lot of weight, gain a lot of weight, if they seem really excited all of a sudden about everything and they're just they're, they're kissing you on the cheek and giving you these great big hugs and a high five and, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, that could be a sign over excitement. Um, so what we're looking for, one is drastic changes two, giving away valuable things. Three, uh, a sense of hopelessness. 
where they 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 start to talk in these black and white terms. The 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 two major words that you want to listen out for are never and only. Never and only because it, it's usually tied into like things never go well for me or I never get the girl or no one, you know, people never listen to me. They have black and white mm. thinking. So you want to listen out for the black and white thinking or if they're using words like only, you know, well, my the only way my life will improve is if I end my life. The only way, you know, like they and so because the word only is signifies that they're seeing only one option. They're not seeing multiple options. They have a very narrow view of the situation. And what makes it challenging for parents, because I know we have a lot of parents listening in, is that a lot of teenagers talk in very extreme uh, measures. And, you know, it comes from music. You know, music is, uh, and not to, not to just blame it on music, but music can heighten it because if you, when you listen to love songs or even watch romantic comedies, everything is so extreme. You're the only one for me. I can't live my life without you. So uh, all these right, messages right. get embedded into, and, and it seems romantic and it seems harmless, but it's actually very harmful for uh, a 13-year-old to think that the, the, the breakup uh, that they've experienced uh, is with the, the person who was the only one for them at 13 years old. They've met their soulmate. They've met the one, the only, and they'll never find someone else again, and they'll never be happy. So you really want to pick up on the, the black and white thinking, the all or nothing, the catastrophizing, catastrophizing is, is um, you know, one one uh, bad thing happens, quote unquote. And so everything is horrible. It's like, you know, they get a, a, a an F on a test or maybe they, only get, they don't even get an F, they get a B. But they but they're such a perfectionist that anything less than an A feels like an F. And they're just like, I'm a horrible student. Uh, the teacher's horrible. Life is horrible. How could I, you know, how can I go on? So you'll you'll hear these. And so you really want to help uh, kids, uh, you know, find the nuances, explore options and, and focus in on the behavior. So one of the most important things as a parent that you can do with your kid is to when you are complimenting them or you are um, consequencing them is make sure you keep the language about their behavior and their effort versus their character. And here's what I mean. Uh, if you are if you're complimenting someone's character, you, you say uh, you say something like, oh, you're so smart Oh, you're so brilliant. That, that's a that's a that's a character label, right? Um, and so, but the, what the kid then does is go, well, if I'm so smart and so brilliant, why did I get a B instead of an A? So now your compliments are are being rebuffed, and you're not even aware of it. And it it builds a case, helps them build a case in their head of just how quote quote dumb they are and stupid they are and and if and my parents clearly know nothing because look at my grade or oh, why did uh such and such break up with me if I'm so amazing and so beautiful 
So what you want to do is compliment the effort. Instead of complimenting the grade, you say, wow, you, you know, I saw you really studying for that test. I saw you, you know, uh, I'm, I'm so proud of you for asking for help. See, these are behavioral um, uh, uh, actions that we can compliment and that we want to reinforce. So we don't want to reinforce the A. We don't want to reinforce the outcome. We want to reinforce the behavior that has led to the outcome, right? So uh, when, when we do this a lot uh, as adults, especially somebody loses weight, we go, oh, you looking good, girl. Are oh, you looking? I see you, you know, um, versus saying, wow, it, it must have... Uh, I imagine it took a lot of discipline to, you know, eat under 2000 calories a day or to drink a gallon of water a day or to even, you know, go to bed and get your eight hours of sleep instead of staying up and binge watching television. So we're, we're, we're complimenting the behavior and noticing the behavior and not uh, and not attaching it to the person. And that doesn't mean to say that you don't occasionally say to your daughter, you're beautiful or to your son, um, you know, you're you're smart or whatever. Uh, but that but what you want to do is make sure your ratio of behavioral comments uh, outweigh or supersede or outnumber your uh, your character uh, compliments and, um, and and notifications. Those were great. I've been in this space for quite a while now, not forever, right? But several years. And it's just amazing to me how long I've studied and how many people I've gotten to talk to. And I'm still learning stuff all of the time. So I almost want to, I think what I'm going to do is summarize those and I'll throw them in at the end after we're done our episode, because I just want people to have those in a really concise fashion. I mean, thank you for taking the time to explain those. And the next thing I want to get into are what are some of the risk factors of suicide? Because when we're talking about warning or warning signs, guys, warning signs are those things that we can kind of see, as Leo was explaining, the risk factors would be more things that are like also associated with a risk of suicide. So can you tell us about some of those? Absolutely. You know, one is like, uh, I mean, definitely the number one risk factor is a previous suicide attempt, right? Um, so if they if they've attempted before, it, it, it increases their chances of attempting again. And that's because uh, of something they call a parasuicide, meaning like they're building up the resistance to the pain that it actually takes to complete the suicide. Does that make sense? Um, so uh, uh, a previous yes, suicide Leo. attempt. Sorry, yeah. so, Mike was on mute. <laughs> oh, oh, got you. So one is previous suicide attempt. Uh, the second one is a, uh, what I just alluded to is uh, parasuicides. So um, usually we call it like risky behavior. And so when you start to see your kid practicing uh, risky behavior, that, that's a, that could be a, a sign or a risk factor for them building up to the actual uh, attempt or and or completion. Uh, the other risk factor is bullying. Um, and, and sometimes the bullying can be uh, covert and overt. It's the overt, uh, the covert bullying that can really be more sinister. So let's talk about the overt, which is, 
you know, obviously the the kid getting uh, shoved in school, punched, kicked, uh, or verbal abuse. Uh, and sometimes the verbal abuse can come from a teacher and, and how uh, the teacher is talking about the kid uh, in class or, or talking about their grades. But there's also overt uh, or covert bullying, Mitch, which is like it's harder to pick up on, but you feel it, meaning like the way that you uh, you the tone of your voice when you say something um, the the way that you invalidate their feelings. Uh, so a lot of times, and this is a major one, um, a kid will say that they're upset or they're sad or they're they're angry. And as parents, and and this is not with the, and this is with good intention. The parent will say, "Oh, you'll get over it. You'll be okay. Uh, you know, you'll find someone else." And instead of sitting in the pain with their kid, and so that's why a lot of kids will say, "You don't understand me." Of like, you're you don't understand that. Yes, I will be okay. But right now, I am not okay. I'm telling you, I'm hurting. I'm in pain. I uh, I am grieving. This is this feels like the end of the world to me. And and you're talking about the future right now. I don't see a future. So if you can't sit with me here, if you can't understand how important this is to me now, and help and just and just be with me, and and help me navigate these emotions versus trying to put a Band-Aid on it and, and saying it's going to be better. I'm telling you, it's not better. It's awful right now. And a lot of kids, instead of saying that, they just go to their room and close the door and they they crank the music up, right? But And then to the parent, it's like, oh, that kid never wants to talk to me. And it's like the kid has been trying to communicate with you. It's just that you've been trying to fix the kid instead of feel the kid and be with the kid uh, and, and, and their emotions because it's triggering maybe something in the parent that they haven't dealt with also. Uh, but this is why going to a therapist, going to a coach, uh, they can help you navigate these things. Even talking to the teacher or the school counselor, uh, they can give you uh, tools and techniques to, to handle that. Um, other risk uh, factors are uh, access to harmful means. Um, you know, kids who take pills, they're usually taking their parents' pills. Or if they're on prescription meds, uh, you know, they will ingest their own meds. So this is why, you know, for me at, at 44 and knowing that I struggle with, uh, you know, my mental health issues and my chronic pain, I'm doing everything I can to stay off of meds because it can be addictive and it can over time start to feel like, um, um, an option for you in terms of becoming a harmful means for you to, to end your life. You're like, well, if this gets rid of uh, some of my pain, maybe the whole body gets rid of all of my pain. So we, we have to look out for access, whether it's a gun in the house or it's pills or other means that the kid might have, those things become uh, uh, risk factors. Um, and then the last one is, uh, and, and there's, there's so many, but the last one I'll touch on is um, physical abuse. Because uh, physical abuse, whether it's from a parent, uh, especially sexual abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, those types of things, uh, the, the kid then becomes resistant to pain. And then um, ending their life starts to feel 
doesn't doesn't scare them as much because of all the physical abuse or the sexual abuse or trauma that they've uh, experienced. Um, and then, but I'll say the last risk, risk factor, I know I said that was the last one, is uh, are drastic transitions. So, you know, in my case, you know, I went from completely able-bodied to then now um, I, uh, when I was in, in college, to now I can't play football, I can't play my fifth year of college. So that was my identity. It was a huge loss of identity. Of I was an athlete. I was a stud. Uh, I'm benching four ten. I'm leg pressing a thousand. And now you're telling me that uh, carrying a jug of milk is too much. Um, and and so when when there's been a transition in terms of uh, maybe you moved or uh, some type of loss of identity. Um, and, and that usually comes maybe with some physical disability. That's when we start to see people more prone to, uh, to, uh, completing suicide. Um, and then I keep, I know I keep saying that's the last one, but changing meds. So really watch your kids. If you're switch, if you're upping the dose, lowering the dose or, or cutting kids off meds, we see that a lot also, uh, for kids, uh, who attempt, um, uh, you know, when they go, I'm just going to quit cold turkey. Uh, you definitely want to wean yourself off of any meds that you've been taking. So uh, I hope that's been helpful. Yeah. And no, I was happy to have you keep going every single time you said that, because this really is going to be an incredible resource for the people that are listening to it, uh, especially the parents out there. You just have it's a mix of the passion that you clearly have for this that's in your voice, but also I think you have a way of taking things that I know we could make extremely clinical, and you are just delivering it in such a practical and relatable way. All of these examples or even stories that you're using are just things that in my own head, I can picture myself having done in the past, or people that I know having done in the past, or unfortunately still doing. And I just think when we have those real life examples, it makes it easier to take action than just when we hear the clinical stuff. And listen, I love the clinical side of things. We need that as well. Um, but, you know, thank you for having both of those and delivering the one that's probably most relevant to this audience um, today. Now, I know you uh, had talked uh, about... I, yeah. Well, and Evan, I, to, to, for the listeners, I know I threw so much at them. Um, it basically comes down to, are they in pain? That's what it comes down to. Whether if we're talking about substance abuse, we're talking about a, a physical disability, previous suicide attempt, uh, a breakup, uh, being bullied, um, you, you know, uh, like basically you want to ask your kid, are you in pain? Are you are you hurting? And where do you hurt? And and that's where you that's the number one. That's the first, there's a three-step model of suicidality, and that is the first level, pain. Whether it's psychological pain, emotional pain, physical pain, are you in pain? Because when the pain becomes too great, whether it's uh, pain from a heartbreak or physical pain, um, then that's when suicide looks like uh, a viable option. So you could always reduce everything down to, are you in pain? Are you hurting? And, and that's the moment where then you need to stop everything you're doing and sit with your kid 
uh, and and help them, uh, you know, land the plane, so to speak. Understood. Thank you. And one of the things that you were talking about in the risk factor side of things, you had mentioned at one point, the importance of counseling. And clearly you believe in that because you are one yourself. Now, a colleague of mine, she's a social worker, and she shared with me that she believes that all counselors or therapists should undergo their own therapy. I mean, I'm curious, have you been to therapy? And if so, I will ask you a question that you asked me when we were doing an interview together. What are some of the most important insights you gained through therapy, assuming that you went? Yes, I am definitely in therapy. Um, sometimes uh, we're just awkwardly staring across from each other because I'm like, I don't know what to say. What am I? Why am I here? But um, you, every every athlete, because even though like I'm, I'm I don't play football anymore, I love to study greatness, right? And all of the greats have a, a mentor, a coach, a therapist. Tiger Woods had uh, he has. Um, a sports psychologist, someone to to talk to him. There's a show on Billions. There's a show. There's a show on Showtime called Billions, and it's a it's a uh, about a bunch of guys who work at a hedge fund. And the CEO brought brought in a uh, a coach to coach his clients through uh, to be optimal, to be focused. And and so what I've learned is that no matter what level you are at. Whether you're the president of the United States, whether you're a golf coach, whether you're a mom, whether you're a therapist, you need someone who can listen to you and understand you. So it, it doesn't have to be a, a coach or a therapist. For a lot of people, and, and historically, it's always been grandmama and grandpapa, you know, T.O. Tia, uh, or not T.O. Tia, uh, abuela, abuelo and abuela, you know? Right. Uh, so... That that was the function. That's that's traditionally has been the function of grandparents or of, of, of you know tribal elders. You know, uh, and and in some countries they have areas where um, I forget where it is in Europe where you can go and it's it's public where the, the elders kind of congregate and and people have questions about life or just want to discuss and pontificate the nature of the world, they can go. So they feel like there's always someone there that they can talk to and share their ideas and, and emotions with. And unfortunately, you know, with COVID, but even before COVID, let's be honest, like we are in America, uh, uh, more specifically, we're such a culture of individuation, of pull yourself up by the bootstraps, of do it yourself, that it it makes it hard to admit when you need help and to reach out for help. Um, you know, uh, you know, it, it's it, and when you do, it's seen as a sign of weakness or vulnerability, or it's like, how how could you not have figured this out by now? Why don't you just go or go go Google it? Uh, if you don't have it, then you don't want it bad enough. Is that everything is on the individual, where? We know that, uh, you know, as, as we talked about, uh, uh, Evan, uh, it's so much is about the environment and uh, your social connectedness. Right. The uh, I was talking earlier about the suicidal uh, model. And the first level is is their pain. And then but on the second level are do you have people that you feel connected to 
and do you have and or do you have a purpose you feel connected to? Because those are mitigating factors for someone uh, considering uh, ending their life. So if there's someone in your life that you feel like you can talk to, whether it's uh, the, the male person or a cashier or a family member or a friend, or you call the 1-800-SUICIDE number, if you feel like there's someone that you can connect with, or if you have a purpose, you know, uh, you know, right now it's like Black Lives Matter movement. Um, you have uh, uh, mothers who have lost their kids to drunk driving, so they started mad. So if you have a, a purpose, or if you have uh, a person, then that could be, those are strong, those strongest mitigating factors for uh, anyone who's uh, thinking about ending their life. Awesome. And I kind of have, I, I think some of the things that you just said in this last answer may actually overlap with this, but I mean, you are just a wealth of knowledge. So I'm going to ask it anyway, because I think that you'll probably have something to add. Uh, it's actually my final question. And it's a little bit of a, a different route than we've been going, but it's just so relevant. And we started with this and we're kind of ending with it. So I wanted to touch on it one more time. In one of your episodes of your podcast, I heard you talking about quarantine and productivity. Um, I think you mentioned you had just shame ate a pint of ice cream uh, because you were looking around and seeing all these people who are seemingly accomplishing so much with ease during this time. I mean, we're all experiencing this pandemic and doing the best we can. It seems that the lockdowns are, at least in America, uh, starting to come back in in a lot of these different places. I, I would love for you to unpack that a bit for us and share some helpful tips or reminders for our listeners that are all experiencing the same thing right now? Uh, you know, the first part is, great question is, I mean, basically you're asking about how do we manage the, these extreme emotions, the, the, the anxiety, the, the feelings of overwhelm, uh, in some cases the powerlessness, the hopelessness, uh, or maybe in some, some cases on the other side, the, uh, the excitement, um, because, you know, we can both feel... Uh, uh, diminished and empowered at the same time. And, and a lot of people actually don't know how to handle feeling uh, overjoyed or feeling happy or feeling excitement. Um, and so we, we, and there's so many emotions that are, that are swirling around, especially if you're in tight quarters. Um, and so you're feeling your emotions, you're feeling the emotions of the people in a house with you. You're feeling the emotions of of your community and the country and the world at large. And it's hard to figure out um, what what is it that you feel versus what is it that everyone else is feeling. I completely get that. And for me to very, you know, quite simply, I'm very fortunate. I live in San Diego. And one of the things that helps me to unpack my emotions and and, and find some leveling ground is to go hiking. Um, I, to be out in nature and that, and that doesn't have to be hiking. It could be going to the ocean. It could be going to the beach, uh, or a lake. There's something about nature that is soothing, calming. Um, even on a hormonal level, nature releases, uh, oxytocin, which is what makes us feel less alone. It's, it's the, it's the hormone that allows us to feel connected to the people that we're with, that allows us to feel cared for. Um, in Asia, uh, it's it's a common practice to hug trees. Tree hugging 
is a big thing for them because they recognize the healing powers of physically connecting with nature, right? Not just walking through nature, but to really put your cheek, put your arms around a tree, put your cheek up against a tree and, and just feel it and be with it and, and absorb the hundreds, if not thousands of years uh, of this life form. And to see to see nature, there's there's something about when you walk out into nature and without headphones, by the way, this is not the time to listen to a podcast or listen to your playlist. If you are, in fact, trying to tap in to you to get back to you, Um, a lot of times in relationships, when someone says I need space, what they're really saying is I miss me. I miss me. And I, I've forgotten who I am. And I, I I need to suss out who that is and, and who I am now. And uh, and I need to do some of the things that I was doing before we got into this relationship that I've stopped doing because I've been giving so much over to this relationship or to my job, right? That's the, the purpose of, of, of a vacation and the weekend is to get back to you. You, you, you put in 40 hours. In some cases, people putting in 80 hours. You know, I know we have first responders out there who are, are putting in an exorbitant mm-hmm. amount of time. So how do you give back to yourself? So one is get back to nature. And, and it doesn't have to be for hours. It doesn't have to be hiking. Even just walking barefoot in grass, if you can. I know some of y'all live in a city and uh, walking barefoot in the grass in some cities is the most dangerous uh, or, or <laughs> filthiest thing that you can do. Um, sure. So, you know, be aware of it. But, you know, just even seeing a body of water, uh, if you can't leave the house or if you're afraid to leave the house, even watching nature shows. There's so many times where I will just put on I'll go to YouTube. I'll type in 4K fish tank and I'll just watch the fish swimming by um, or I'll watch 4K 4K drone shots of other cities and countries that I do want to visit once the quarantine uh, lifts. So there's so many ways that we can um, we can imagine ourselves or put ourselves uh, in, in a soothing space um, that doesn't have to be numbing. It doesn't have to be with food or drugs uh, or, or any of the, the other things that, that people uh, numb out with. Right. Uh, we can we can really feel connected. The other part, too, is to ask yourself, like, are you engaging with life or are you avoiding life? Are you engaging in your relationship or are you avoiding the tough conversations or the uncomfortable conversations? There's, you know, one of the most powerful things that you can say in a relationship. You know, we always talk about the four-letter word, but really to me, the most powerful four-letter word in a relationship is to say, that hurt. The word hurt, a lot of us don't like to admit when we've been hurt. And and you know that we've hurt someone when they lash out against us, when they yell at us, uh, they, they, they feel threatened, they feel ashamed or guilty. They've been hurt. They've been wounded and they don't know how to process that or handle that. So they slam the door or they yell back or they might even physically attack. But you'll you'll find that as you get better at expressing your emotions, you'll feel less of a need to leave 
and you'll feel more empowered to stay, to hold the space, to handle the storm that's brewing, right? Everything doesn't have to, the emotions then don't feel as overwhelming. Start with how do you feel? And there's a, a website that lists, um, you know, there's an emotional wheel that you can just type in emotional wheel, feeling wheel. So you can mm-hmm. get better at expressing how you feel. But if we want to get real simple on how to manage emotions, you know, you got to get off. So you have to limit your social media. There's there's not enough techniques in the world to override how good social media is at triggering so many different emotions that you start to feel schizophrenic or undone or, um, uh, you know, just thrown off track. A bit. They know exactly. Facebook knows exactly what to do to make you cry, to make you angry, to get you excited, to make you feel everything except connected, to make you feel everything except peaceful. Even those little cat videos and baby, those are all that it's all to set you up for the next thing they're going to do to upset you or, you know, just to keep you on there a little bit longer. So limit your social media, limit your television. Um, I go through periods where I don't watch TV uh, before bed. I'd rather read a book because uh, it, it's uh, too anxiety provoking to, to watch TV and then go straight to bed. Um, I also meditate. Um, if none of those options are available to you, journaling. Journaling is so big. Journaling is massive. I'm constantly writing. I'm constantly journaling. And I think that a lot of people are turned off from journaling because uh, they think it's just about dumping your emotions. You don't have to do that. You can just simply write out your day, like little bullet points. Uh, Sometimes my journal looks like, you know, woke up at 5 a.m., didn't want to get out of bed, went for a swim at 6 a.m., drank a a Robex juice. Uh, I think there was more ginger in the juice. It it was was a bit strong this morning. Um, (laughs) Came home, you know, ate, 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 uh, you know, breakfast. It wasn't enough. I was, uh, I was hungry two hours later, uh, trained clients, coached a client, had guitar practice. I'm really improving on my guitar practice. So you're just kind of noting the day, right? It doesn't have to be this, uh, this Shakespearean, you, you don't have to get too deep or detailed, or it could be the same word over and over again. Sometimes I've done that. Where I'm just like, ah, just straight across, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. and, and that's been therapeutic. So, you know, journaling could be whatever you want it to be. It could be putting photos in your journal. So have fun with all this, uh, you know, therapy and, and mental health and social health. All these things don't have to be uh, done with such gravity that we're not having fun and, and we're not recognizing um, how ridiculous uh, all of this is. Right. Um, because at the end of the day, um, uh, it's the universe is indifferent. And getting back out into nature is one of those things that helps us to manage all of this. As you know, Leo, I mean, that's something I'm huge on. It is one of those things that I still wish to this day. Um, I would never want to be in the midst of my mental health crisis again. But the places I go hiking now and the things that I do in the the Place, just the feelings I've experienced at these places. I wonder 
always what it would be like if I could take my 15 or 16 year old self and plop me down in there just to see what would have happened. Is it even possible uh, that I would have felt the same way just being transported there? Like, could I have felt just some relief and somewhat better? But um, so that's an encouragement, I think, for those out there that are currently dealing with these things to just give it a shot. I mean, I'm not saying it's a cure-all. You're not saying that either, but it can be a very nice temporary relief. Um, I got to ask, Leo, where can people find you that want to connect with you or hear your podcast? And can you tell them a little more just, you know, what the name is and where they can find it? Absolutely. Uh, if you want one-on-one coaching, go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching, T-H-R-I-V-E, thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching. And uh, and I, I help people deal with transitions, traumas, tragedies, conflict resolution, how to feel connected, how to feel meaning, how to find meaning and purpose, thrivewithleo.com. If you want to check out my podcast, it's called Before You Kill Yourself. And the idea behind that title is that the research shows that the, the space between stimulus and response, between stimulus and response uh, in terms of someone wanting to end their life is very small. It's, it's, it's anywhere from uh, 10 seconds to a few minutes. And so if I can buy you a, a little time to help you navigate that, that painful tornado that that that's that walking through the sauna that, that that to stay in that burning building for just a little bit longer and know that at some point uh the flames will die out right a lot of people who, who talk about suicide it's it's a, a fire uh that they usually talk about a, a burning whereas depression is more like a weight um so if i can buy you a little time and 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 help you reframe your circumstances and your situation. Uh, please afford me that opportunity. Uh, you deserve it. So uh, before you kill yourself is the name of the podcast. It's on Spotify, Apple. Uh, it's on all all the major uh, podcast platforms. And then uh, and and that's it. You can go to leoflowers.com. That links to everything. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I'm I'm super excited to ha- have done this. I'm I'm very grateful, Evan, that you reached back out and uh, and that and that we're we're building this uh, this type of bond. I hope you guys do get a second to go over and check out Leo's podcast. He's doing some amazing work over there. It's a very similar concept to what we're doing here, but it's different voices, different perspectives, and. I don't know about you guys, maybe I'm a little biased, just a little bit, but I absolutely love listening to this stuff. I love learning more about the topic of mental health, and I love having my perspective enhanced. So that's a great way to go do it, is just to listen to as many of these things as possible. And Leo, man, thank you so much again for being here today. I said it in the beginning, but you really have a fantastic way of breaking this stuff down in such a way that it feels like you're talking to a friend. But in the back of my head, I know I'm talking to a guy that has some serious education, so So thank you for bringing this to us in such a way that is easy to digest for everyone. Well, that'll do it for today, folks. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Minding Your Mind podcast. Don't forget to keep minding your mind. And as always, take good care. We will see you next time. Thanks for tuning into the show. To learn more about us, visit mindingyourmind.org.